Hello, and welcome to the Work Well podcast. The World Health Organization has identified the workplace as a priority area for health promotion. Why then does the word work have such a negative and unhealthy connotation for so many people? Think about it. We spend so much of our adult lives at work. Why should it be in a role or in an environment that doesn't support our health and well-being? My name is Brian Crook, and I'm on a mission to make workplaces more positive places to be and to make our working day as healthy and productive as possible. Join me on the Work Well podcast as I interview workplace well-being thought leaders and industry professionals to discuss how employers, employees, and entrepreneurs can lead the way by creating and sustaining the healthy, safe, and well workplaces of the future. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Work Well podcast. This episode is brought to you with thanks to the Fruit People. Fruit People are leading the way in workplace nutrition, both in office and remotely. Check out thefruitpeople.ie for more. Today in the show, I'm delighted to welcome Siobhan Sweeney. Siobhan works for the Open Doors Initiative as Director of Development, Diversity, Equality, and Inclusion. So DEI is something I'm trying to educate myself on more. That's why it was so great to speak with Siobhan for the podcast. So as you'll you'll hear from our chat, Siobhan's work at the Open Doors Initiative helps organizations to become more aware of concepts relating to DEI, and it also helps them to develop strategies and implement uh, inclusive policies, which, as as I've learned, is the way to shape diversity into a strategic advantage. And hopefully as well, you know, this conversation can help any individuals listening in that might want to take that step and reach out to, to open doors. I learned a lot from this conversation and I know you will too. So sit back and enjoy my chat with Siobhan Sweeney. Siobhan, hello and welcome to the Work Well podcast. Hi, Brian. How are you? Good morning. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm delighted to chat with you this morning. No, not at all. It's a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. But first of all, how are you and you know, how's life and how's work for you at the moment? Do you know what? My life is It's very, very busy, I think, both from a personal perspective and then a work perspective as well. So maybe just talking about work first. I think work is really busy at the moment. Lots of interesting work we're doing through the Open Doors initiative. And then I guess from a personal perspective, I am a mommy of three kids, Faith, Lois and Byron, um, who are 10, 9 and 7. So that's a busy household in itself, as well as that I am doing my own master's in work and organisational behaviour in DCU. So I'm just completing I'm at dissertation stage now, so only only a few weeks left, so on the final hurdle. So between work and personal life, I guess, it's very busy and there's a lot of blurred lines, I guess, at the moment as well. Working from home, the kids homeschooling for a while and then trying to get college work done. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie. The last year has been very, very challenging, to say the least. Okay, yeah. So so plenty of plates in the air uh, there, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, you know what, it's I'm I'm definitely not perfect at everything. I'm I'm not gonna lie. It's really trying to juggle and prioritize at the moment. 
to make sure that I can get one thing at a time done. I'm absolutely delighted that I don't have to homeschool anymore. Okay. I'm definitely not a teacher. Hands up in the air for that. Oh yeah, my um, hands up here. <laughs> <laughs> so I think like that. That's one. I think one stress um, off my off my shoulders at the moment that the kids can go to school every day. It allows me the headspace to be able to crack on with my work all day before the kids get home and. Um, you know, have more of a, I guess, have more of a balance that you're not running from one thing to the next. Sure. There's a, there's a definite line there, isn't there? It's not, you're not going you know, for five minutes work, five minutes parenting. You've got your clear parenting period, if you like, and then your, your very clear work period as well. Yeah. And I think that, it, I think that a lot of parents have a lot of pressure and guilt, I'm going to say. I know guilt is definitely one thing for me because I feel like I almost close the door you know, mommy's on a call, mommy's constantly on a call, you can't come in here. So I think that that guilt is has been massive for me. And it's trying to, you know, it's 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 almost trying to to let them know as well, like guys, this is not normal, what's going on at the moment. You know, you are supposed to be in school. Mommy has to work during the day, mommy has a lot of calls, but I'm very lucky that I have. I have my parents very close by that can help me out and do homeschooling and that kind of stuff. And that can collect the kids from school that I don't need to be running up and down the road as some parents have those challenges at the moment and care and responsibilities in that regard. I am really lucky. Yeah, yeah. No, really well said. Really well said. Uh, Tell me about the work side of things then. Tell tell me about the, the Open Doors initiative. Yeah, so the Open Doors Initiative, it's a non-for-profit CLG. We work with marginalised members within society. So those groups, I guess, the groups that we work with are refugees, asylum seekers, migrants, people with all disabilities, visible and invisible, and then disadvantaged youth, which would include members of the travelling community, LGBTQI+, as well. So as you can imagine, just even talking about those marginalised groups in itself, there's so much intersectionality there between the groups. So anybody that comes to us, we try and help them. And I guess the work that we do is we have nearly 100 companies, I'm going to say, at the moment that we work with. They are made up of multinationals, SMEs, government departments and other supporting partners, which are NGOs. And as a collective, we work to help these marginalised people into job opportunities where we look to remove barriers that exist between that are existing in society at the moment. So what we really want to do is make sure that we're so inclusive and that everybody has that, I guess, equity piece. They're they're getting their foot in the door of organisations. And and that's really that's the work that we're trying to do. So we're really we're really scaling up. More and more companies are reaching out to us, whether it be through the through our website or contacting us directly through email. And I guess from a company perspective, what organizations would do when they contact us is some are very much involved in CSR activity, as you can imagine, or DEI already. Um, and then they're looking to see, well, how can the work that you do with Open Doors fit into the work that our company is doing? And so that's kind of one angle, I guess. Some companies have an idea in terms of where they want to go. So they might say, well, we want to do a program for refugees, asylum seekers. What can we do to help? 
So like through the work, we do a variety of things, Brian. We could do research. We do mentoring. We have toolkits. We do podcasts as well. Some companies look at the barriers then that people face within society. So the big one you'll see is around the bank accounts for asylum seekers, refugees. And then there's some companies that will say, look, I have these range of jobs coming up. Can you help me? And can you put them up on on your website? And we can go out then to people that you're working with, the participants, and see if there's anybody interested in any of these roles. So every company is so different in terms of the journey that they're on, uh, where they're looking to go with the work that we do through the Open Doors Initiative. And that might be just looking at a strategy as well to start their DNI strategy off. So it's definitely not one size fits all. And we always say the more innovative you can be with your ideas, come to us because we want to we want to do new things. We want to try new things. It's definitely not a box that you can put people in. It's not. So the more I guess the more innovative you can be with your ideas and the more that you want to try to help people. Well, that's brilliant. And we'd love to work with you. That sounds great. So, so for the most part, is it is that companies that approach the Open Doors initiative, you, you're not necessarily going out to companies? No. So it would be word of mouth, really, between the companies that you can see if anybody wants to log on to the Open Doors website, you'll see on the front page, there's a list of all of the organizations that we work with on the first page. And there's there's a real mixture there between banks, hotels, there's the IDA, semi-states like Ampost. There's a real, real mixture in there in terms of the companies. And a lot of that is through word of mouth, through speaking engagements like this with yourself. Somebody might hear us doing a seminar or a lunch and learn and also just from going on and looking at the website or LinkedIn or something like that. And then they see us and then they'd reach out and say, can we have a conversation? Can we explore what you're doing maybe in a little bit more detail? Can you tell us about it and see how that would fit in with their with their own company and their own North Star? Very good. So, so a company, I mean, as you said, ideally they will have some kind of an idea of where they want to go uh, for in terms of a project, say. But even if they don't, they can still reach out and they can have that initial conversation with you and you can help them understand where to go. Yeah, like that's absolutely fine. I guess it's like in terms of the pledge that we have, and if anybody wants to go on and have a look at our website or they might have already, we have a pledge up there. And we ask all companies to take that pledge when they're coming on board as Open Doors members. And the pledge is all about committing to being more of an inclusive employer, to do something in the space, whether it comes to equity, diversity, inclusion. I guess it's having that open ethos wanting to learn wanting to be more educated in this area and we're not saying that you have to come to us with a plan already in place you don't even have to have a straw man and and that's actually some of the work that I'm doing with some companies at the moment that have reached out they don't have a proper strategy I guess in place so before we even look at the work of the open doors initiative I would look at them in terms of what is your north star what goals are you trying to achieve? Do you have any milestones in mind? Maybe even doing um, 
a whiteboard session with some of the HRBPs. That's what I kind of do as well and bring in different people within the organization in and plotting out, well, well, what is purposeful to you? What's going to make a difference to your organization? Um, And I guess the more people that you can have involved in those conversations, the better that you get a real understanding of the organization. So I guess you don't have to have the, basically what I'm trying to say is in a long-winded way, you don't have to have a strategy. You don't have to have your roadmap fully done out already like I'm more than happy to work with or any of the team is more than happy to work with organizations to figure out maybe where do you want to get to before we even look at um, helping people through the open doors initiative it's all part of the DEI work that we do okay yeah and I actually have the, the pledge in front of me here so it states that an organization should have a clear plan to foster diversity inclusion and social mobility is is that is this the, so? Is this a starting point then for an organisation to effectively take the pledge? Is it? Yeah. So we would ask all organisations to take that pledge, and really, it's that social mobility piece there that you that you just talked to Brian. It is. We want to have almost like an amplifier effect. So the more companies that get involved, the more companies that hear about the work of the Open Doors Initiative the more of that equal footing ground that we can place within society. Like there's so many great candidates that we speak to on a day-to-day basis. Some candidates that are a lot more qualified than I'll probably ever be with multiple masters. I'm struggling with my one. (laughs) Multiple masters, PhDs. And I think it's because the biases that exist within society they're still there people that have a certain name or a certain address the minute that that's seen and I'm not saying this is for all employers I'm most definitely not but there's people that are so well qualified and have the experience in their home country that that's dated there's testimonials there and they're not getting into these organizations and like my question is why like why is are we still at that place that we haven't made that difference yet within society that people are given the chance to put their best foot forward and go through to the interview stage if they're qualified. So I think that there's still so much work to do, but the more companies that we obviously get on board through the Open Doors Initiative and the more work and education that we do, that can only reduce the barriers, I think, within society. You've kind of touched on this, I guess, but from your experience, what are what are companies doing well in this space? Yeah. And where where are the shortfalls and where are they really lacking? Yeah, I think that through the Open Doors Initiative, we've ran a mentoring program that kicked off at the end of last year. And again, the mentors are made up of different people within the organizations that we've worked with that have put themselves forward and said that that we'll mentor somebody. And again, it's out of the, the three groups that I mentioned at the start. Um, And they didn't know who they were going to be paired with. So we ran a training course at the start. Um, You didn't have to be a mentor before. You had to express an interest and obviously want to help somebody through this journey of the mentoring process. We ran a training for those people just to make sure that everybody was equipped, especially dealing with vulnerable people within society. And through the program so far, we are three, four, five months, I'm going to say, into it. The difference that that has made to people's lives is just amazing. So I might give you a couple of examples. There's there's one lady and she went through the program. She started her first proper session in December. And within March, 
she got an internship with Deloitte and like she actually couldn't believe her luck and how happy she was and she did this beautiful post on on LinkedIn and everything but like again as I said to you some of these people are so well qualified already that it like it breaks my heart that we're that those people are not given a chance within organizations so there's so many like there's so many other great stories like that person there that I just shared I think that by but through the mentoring process you know you can open up your own network to these people if there's an opportunity out there you can share that with them I think the main thing that came through and the main theme that people were looking for was confidence and how to build on their own confidence and that's actually the main theme that I that I see in a lot of mentoring programs even the one that I ran in AIB and for it was called Mentor Her that was one of the main themes that always came through was confidence and help to build their confidence and I can see through the through the five months already that that's really happening for people. People are getting their CVs turned around, their LinkedIn profiles done and giving them all those little steps towards getting into employment, which is which is so important. So, so the, the mentoring program there, it's an individual reaches out, contacts the Open Doors initiative and they're kind of placed with a mentor in, in industry is it one of your yeah so that's more or less it Brian so as I said to you at the start we have what's called supporting partners so there are other NGOs and you can see them all on our website and what we would do is we would reach out then to all of the NGOs as well so we, we are covering a great reach then so we have participants that would talk to us directly and say like I'm looking for work or can you help me with work and then we have through all of the supporting partners out there like the Irish Wheelchair Association, uh, Refugee Ireland, everything we would reach out to all of those supporting partners that, that we have and say we're running a mentoring program if you're working with participants at the moment that you think that might benefit from this let us know. So we had so many expressions of interest come in. And then again, then we reach out to our all of our companies that work with us and say, if you have staff that want to be involved in this program, can you let us know? And again, there was so much, there was so much interest from the companies as well um, in terms of sharing their skill sets and the knowledge throughout the years. And then we based on basically what people were looking for or the areas that people were qualified, we were able to do then a bespoke matching. So everything was tailored to make sure that the participants would get so much out of the program, as much as they possibly could out of the program with being matched with certain people within the industry. That sounds, that sounds fantastic and really beneficial. I'm a big fan of mentoring, you know, at any level for, for anybody. Uh, so I, I can imagine, you know, how useful that is. And that's actually, that's only like, that's one kind of, that's one piece that we've done as well. Like we do, we do lots of different research as well that people will be able to go out and check on our website. And some of the companies that we're working with, they want to look at different kinds of research or get involved. And that would be their contribution rather than maybe hiring somebody saying, like saying, let's explore disability can we look at that area in more detail post the research then there's going to be tangible outcomes from that research and then let's look at those tangible outcomes and see as a company what can we do how can we educate ourselves better how can we train up our staff and make sure that they're skilled 
So there's di different ideas that companies want to look at and explore in more detail. And then we do a range of different talks and seminars and they're open to everybody. We normally would write out to all of our uh, member companies and supporting partners to tell them about the seminars that are coming up. But as well, we post it on LinkedIn and Twitter so people would be able to, people can like attend for free. And there's a lots of different Lots of different topics. The last one was a mental health seminar that we did. And we've done stuff around permits and visas. So there's lots of really tangible outputs coming out of the different seminars that we do. And I think, Brian, I think the, the one main thing for me is around education. I think that there is so much that we still need to learn, both as like individuals and companies every day. Every day is like a school day for me where I pick up a different nugget and haven't, I guess, been working with the open doors um, prior to my, my role in AIB as head of DNI. Even I, I would, I'd say I had a lot of knowledge, but coming into this world and when you're talking to participants every day, looking at the challenges they face when it comes to the language that you use, I think that there's so much more that we can do. And I think that that's, probably a great place for organizations to look at even in terms of education educating their staff educating their talent acquisition teams making sure that you know that we're aware of our biases and, and another thing that I would always say is what is the makeup of your your TA team your talent acquisition team like are you all the same? Because if you are you're always going to attract people like you are you do you know, do you have people from different cultural backgrounds on the team? What's the demographic like? Is there different diversity of thought? And really challenge yourself on that first, because if it's not there and you're looking to attract, attract talent within your organisation, you could be in danger of falling into that sameness bracket. Yeah. And talk to me a little bit more about that for maybe the company, the skeptics listening in or you know, some of the companies listening in that you mentioned the diversity of thought. Where's the real benefit of that for, for an organization? Say, where, where can they see the benefits? Like, I, I'm bought in, but let's say those, those that aren't. How can we make this a strategic priority for an organization? Yeah, do you know what? I think that's, that, that's a really good question. It's a really interesting question as well, because I think that there's, there's so much talk around DEI. I think even more so probably the inclusion piece now, since we're working from home. But I think that people, people have to be your priority within an organization. If you don't have your people, how are you going to be successful? Um, how are you going to achieve your priorities that you have for your organization? So like for me, people is always at the center of everything and you have to win hearts and minds. And, you know, that's a, that's a really hard thing, especially in big organizations. You're going to have a lot of people. You're going to have a lot of leaders you're going to have a lot of different personalities I definitely think the tone has to come from the top in terms of leading out this agenda I think sometimes you find and even through my own research that I'm doing at the moment I guess from an academic perspective you will see that there's a lot of networks or ERGs employee resource groups groups that lead this lead the agenda like that's absolutely great because they can they can lead from the bottom up 
But at the same time, you have to have the talk that's going to meet them halfway, that you're really connected here, that it's part of the organization and that it's not seen as tokenism or a tick box exercise. I think now more than ever, I think organizations have to think about their culture and the people, not only the people that I guess that they have within the organization from a retention perspective, but then also the, the, the future talent and what they want to create. Because if you don't, I think, have that real mixture, you're in danger of not bringing innovation to the forefront that you're doing. You're not bringing that challenge element to the conversations, which I think is so important, even from a risk perspective for organizations. If you have everybody around the table that is yes, 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 you're not going to realize it. You're not going to realize the risk within your organization or those danger points or blind spots. I think that people need to be aware now more than ever about who's around me, what does my decision making table look like? Who's in my pipeline? Are we all the same? Who challenges? Is there different thoughts? Is there different perspectives coming to the forefront? And again, I think that if by having all of that in place, you're going to make sure that you can execute on your strategy and not only execute it, but do it within the time frame that you actually want to do, to do it within. But to ensure that that all happens, it is very much a journey. I, I know that it's a journey. This is not something that you can you can click your fingers and it's going to happen overnight. Absolutely not. But I think that you have to have clear milestones in place. You have to talk to your staff. You have to ask your staff, what do they need? There has to be that, I guess, element of, and for me, it's that psychological safety from a leadership perspective and from even a manager perspective that staff can feel like they can tell you how they're feeling, that they're not afraid to challenge you, obviously, in the correct it in a very respectful way but you have to be open to that element of challenge so you can so you can like highlight potential blind spots as I said that you see excellent yeah yeah I'm, I'm hearing so many overlaps with kind of the work I do with organizations trying to get well-being and make that a strategic priority and not just a box ticking not just a, you know a bowl of fruit or a class of yoga here and there but it's actually something that the leadership are are bought in but they're involved you know their their visible advocacy clear for all to see and their participation and their their support and and where it meets the grassroots as you as you said there and uh, there's so many overlaps you mentioned the kind of the needs and wants of of colleagues understanding that uh, you've mentioned milestones and a time frame like metrics are so important aren't they uh, you know, how do you know if you're actually achieving something if you're not if you're not measuring it? What what, what kind of uh, measures would you say or metrics should a company be looking to from a DEI perspective? I think that I think it comes down in terms of the the, the journey again that that each company is taking and where they want to go with this agenda and what they're actually trying to do. That's one of the first things I guess when it comes to strategy and I, and I don't know if it's the same for you, Brian, but that's one of the first things that I'd be asking a company like. Why are you taking part in this? What what's your what's your rationale? What, like, do you have an idea of where you're getting to, or are you just start, with, start with why? Yeah, and it's not it's not just to jump on the bandwagon because everybody else is doing it. Like, because if that is the case, and if, that, if that's where you're coming from, you don't even need to talk about this. Your staff, your people around you, they will smell this out a mile away if this is not authentic and if you're not doing it for the right reasons. 
you know, you hire, we hire clever people into our organization because we know that they're the best fit for the job. You know, these people will absolutely see right through you if you're just coming in trying to do tokenistic things or have days that you only celebrate once a year and then Monday to Friday, it's all forgotten about and there's there's nothing there. And then I guess when it comes to a measurement perspective, I think that there's so many different things here that you can do. I know I spoke to you about this before, but gender is a massive one. I think that that's something that's you see in, on social media all the time from an organization perspective. I know that gender is is something that organizations are focusing on. So that's that's absolutely one area where you can measure. But also I would look at in terms of the demographics that you have within your organization. That's something that organizations are still not, not actively collecting. So in terms of looking at your own demographics, how are you going to know if you're being successful if you don't know who you have in your organization? What are the what's the culture? You know, so that's something that I think that we need to be looking for more um, and asking staff, do they want to tell us that kind of that sort of information? When you do seminars and you do education, is there any follow-up after that? Are you tracking how many people are being educated on a certain topic? Or is this just a once-off tick box that you've done this education and that's it? Where's the follow-up around it? And like, you need to measure everything that you're doing. If you're doing training on a certain topic, what's following it? How many people attended? What it, it, do your leadership team have? And, and does that trickle down to the rest of your organization having objectives around DEI? What do they look like? What are you asking staff to do there? So even if you if you want it, if you don't have metrics, that's something that I would think about within the organization. What do your leaders have as their objectives around this? Do they have objectives? And then how is that going to trickle down? So for every initiative that you're doing, I think that you need to think about the awareness, the action and allies, because there has to be that follow through, I guess, in everything that you're doing, that it's not just that piece that we were talking about, that it's not just tokenism. If you're doing training and you're you're making sure people are aware of certain, something that's going on. Well, well, what happens next? What are your actions around that? And who are the allies within your organization that are going to keep this alive? And I think that's really, really important. Even I talked about AIB a few moments ago, I mentioned my previous role. I couldn't keep every single thing alive. That would be That would be absolutely impossible for me to make sure that 10,000 people are kept alive in every single thing. That's why you have your allies within the organization and something that we were very good at is having your sponsors, having your people in the organization that can keep these topics alive. And then if they need help, if they need guidance, that you know that they come and they ask for it. But people have to be empowered after you do certain training, awareness, you take your actions and your steps, you follow that through and then that you keep it alive through your allies. Hi everyone, a really quick note to tell you about our online learning hub, the WorkWell Institute. If you're enjoying the episode today and are interested in learning more about well-being and work, then check out the courses we have on offer at workwellinstitute.org. There you'll find courses on managing stress, how to boost energy, our well-being champion training, and our flagship program for well-being leaders called Developing a Workplace Wellness Program That Lasts. 
There's a free preview available for all of the courses at workwellinstitute.org. Now, back to our conversation. Some great advice there, uh, Siobhan. And again, lots of overlap, I think, with, with, with well-being. Um, I certainly try, I push for leaders to ha have some kind of well-being metric included on their, their, their annual objectives, if you like. Sounds like you're, you're kind of pushing for something similar. And then you're, you're calling them allies. Maybe I would refer to like well-being champions or well-being ambassadors. Uh, so you're talking about DEI ambassadors, trained ambassadors, kind of a network of people in, in different parts of the organizations kind of supporting and promoting the same message. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, again, I, I know I mentioned that tone from the top is so important and it really is. And I think that's something that some organizations are great at where somebody from the leadership team will go and they will sponsor something that is within the organization. So whether that's a family group that you have, whether that's an ability group, whether that's a pride group, but for each of the groups that you have within your organization, they should definitely have a sponsor and that tone should definitely come from the top, that you have that buy-in, that you keep it alive. It's part of their objectives as, as well as the people that are on those groups and, and that it's very much embedded in, in the organization. And I think that's I think that's the stage that you need to get to where it becomes the, the DNA of the organization. But without having those allies or networks or champions in place first, you know, you have to start somewhere and everywhere. It, it's always a journey that you're going to take. And I would say by having those people and having those allies on the ground, you're, you're really starting from the grassroots, as you talked about. You're creating that awareness around having that an inclusive place that talks about whether it's belonging being yourself education and really helping that become the dna of the organization that eventually that we don't have to say oh we have a group around pride or we have a group around ability it just becomes the norm and when you're looking to bring those leadership the leadership team on board how do you go about that i guess again from a well-being perspective i i would start with i look at the evidence base i look at what what are they interested in first of all and here's what the research evidence and it's quite recent in the area of well-being here's what it's saying and here's some facts here's some figures from quality organizations here's what the evidence is saying would it be something i'm guessing you've got you have really good data out there in terms of dei yeah, there's so much, but there's so much great data, even like from the big four, the Deloitte's, PwC's and um, the Accenture's. There's so much amazing information that's available on their sites that's available to everybody. And then I guess from an academic perspective, there's so many great journals that you can find information around this topic on. I think for me and um, talking to organizations or CEOs or membership um, teams or leadership uh, team members that reach out to us through the open doors, it's about understanding the organization more. Again, what you were saying, well, what's of interest to you? Are you on this journey already to make sure that you're going to get the buy in to make sure that it's a it's again a fish. There's there's no point just joining up as a member and you're not going to get anything out of it. Like I want to be involved. The team want to be involved. We want to roll up our sleeves and actually make a difference. So I think where you have teams that are or leadership teams that are active in this area and they know what they want to make a difference, whether it be to see to CS or or their own internal teams, I think that's definitely a plus because you can work with it and you can explore where you go. Yeah, very good, very good. 
tell me a little bit about your, I guess, your previous role, uh, the AIB work. Because I think initially you, 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 had, you had a, a long career in AIB and, and you also, and I think initially with the Open Doors Initiative, you started on, on secondment from AIB. I did. I was in AIB since September 2006. So what are we, nearly 14 years, I guess. Uh, so that's, yeah, a really, a really long career with one organisation. Absolutely loved working for AIB. And the one thing that anybody that's worked in a large organisation will know is there's so many different, I guess, subsets within that organisation and different departments that if you want to grow and expand your career, you don't have to stay in one department. And I guess I've been really lucky throughout my career to lead a lot of different teams and have that variety on my CV. So one of the last roles that I did within my last role within AIB was head of diversity and inclusion. And that was really exciting. Got to work with the central bank, look at what we were doing as an organization, got to create a meaty strategy for our organization with milestones in terms of what we want to achieve when we wanted to achieve it really had that tone from the top and that buy-in, which I think is essential to enable you to be able to carry out your role to the best of your ability. So I guess it was through that work and the work that I was doing within AIB that we started when we paired up with the Open Doors Initiative. We were one of the first 14 founding members that, that got behind the Open Doors Initiative to support it. It was through the work that I was doing with the CEO that I was asked would I come out on Sakaman to help really mobilize it and scale up the work at the Open Doors to take it to the next level. So that's how I got involved. I was on Sakaman for a year and that ended in March, just gone. So I am no longer an AIB employee, but I absolutely love the work that the team is doing, that the team is still doing. There is such a focus on culture within the organization and people, which I, as I said, I guess at the start of the conversation, people have to be at the forefront of everything. And I think working in a remote environment as we're in now, I think that psychological safety, feeling that you're still connected to the organization, that you still understand your purpose, I think that's something that you can forget, I guess. And this is something that we've talked through, even in college is your whole purpose and making sure that you still align to your purpose, that you know what your organizational purpose is, that when you're you're not going into the office every day anymore and be surrounded by your colleagues or talking about the, the customer the way you would in more of a collaboration space, you're on your own, you come down to your own computer every day. So I think it's making sure that you still are connected to what's going on within your organization and that the organization is still doing that to make sure that you have your one-to-ones, that you have your collaboration, that you have your virtual tea and coffee. But um, I know I'm kind of steering off your question, but that's how I got involved. No, fantastic. Yeah. And um, I'm sure, I'm sure there'll be, AOB will be very sorry to lose you, um, but it sounds like you've left them in a really strong position. I know, love to hear almost practicing what you preach there in terms of that, that meaty strategic plan you mentioned and the, the clear milestones. And that's exactly what's required, isn't it? There's a plan, the roadmap, here's what we're, we're working towards. And I, you know, I'm not surprised to hear that at all because we had, we had uh, Tony Nestor was on this podcast before and spoke with the really kind of strong structure, the well-being structure that's in place from there's a well-being leader, there's a committee, there's well-being advocates, a uh, strong network. I think it's 120 uh, well-being advocates throughout the organization as well 
So yeah, not surprised to hear something similar happening in the in the DNI space. Yeah, they've there's such a strong structure in there. I think that that structure piece is it's so so important that you have that that you have the buy-in that you have that commitment. And Tony's absolutely fantastic. She's one of the amazing ambassadors that we have in AIB and. Do you know what? There's so many fantastic people within the organization that are really committed to this agenda, really want to make a difference with the work that they do. And you know what that gives you when you have the backing of so many people like that, you can you can really make that difference. You really can. Excellent. Yeah. No point. Really well made there. I often ask guests what guests what the future of work will look like. I guess my question to you would be, well, what will the future of DEI look like or what would you what would you like it to look like certainly from an Irish perspective and, and even further afield yeah you know what I think that's that's a really good question <laughs> easy question for you there <laughs> do you know what even even talking about the future of work in itself I think that there is there's so much learning through this experience I don't think it's something Brian that we could ever go back to when we can in terms of the government and the guidelines I don't think that you can just jump back into the office and pretend like the last year hasn't happened you know it's opened up so much flexibility for everybody within society whether that's their parent like I talked about they have care and responsibilities somebody that might need reasonable accommodation and have that already kitted out in their own home so I think between first of all realizing that we can do this that people can be productive probably more so productive than ever and that's something that we need to watch out for as well in terms of of burnout and how many hours our, our teams are signed on for on a daily basis I think that there is there's a lot of positives I think that have come out of this working arrangement from home the right to disconnect which I'm sure you'll have seen that's a brilliant step in having that there I think again it comes back to the leader and making sure that the leader is committed is ensuring that that's rolled out on their own team that people are are not attending meetings for the sake of attending meetings that they're that they're switching off at a certain time every day and that they're not working all hours of the night because it's it's available to you now to do that I think that there is definitely going to be more flexibility I think I would like to see maybe hub points created which I know that some organizations are doing that already talking about hot desks because not everybody has the facility to work from home not everybody has their own office that they can walk into you know you might be saying surrounded by different people in your home every day and number of people working from home or children running around so it's it's not easy for everybody and I think that that's something that organizations need to think about now as we as we move into the future I think from a DNI perspective I love that first of all I think the, the inclusion piece is really important and that's something that I would like organizations to continue focusing on I don't think that you can take the foot off the pedal there I think people need to feel and your teams need to feel that they're still part of something whether it's the little part that they play in the overall purpose and strategy of your organization but don't forget to remind them of that don't forget to talk to them outside of work as well. Make sure that everything is okay. Making sure that you have that psychological safety there on your teams, that we're doing everything that we can from an inclusion perspective. And, and that's the role, I guess, of a, of, of a leader that I would see in terms of the diversity space. I think it's very much still 
we still have a long way to go. I think the fact that we're still talking about that says that we still have a long way to go. And you know what? I don't mind that because it is a journey and you have to start somewhere. Some people are further along that journey and other people are just at the starting line of that. I think the more awareness, the more education, and I think education is key here, that we move away from the events and those one-off days where we have, where we might have our flags out and all of our decorations and we spend X amount at one event, like that money can be a lot better spent in terms of educating your staff, doing something tangible within your organization to make sure people have the tools, the skills, and to make, I guess, them more aware of, of different topics that they aren't aware of at the moment. So I think that, look, there, there's there's a lot more. And I said it earlier on when I talked about gender. I think that's that's the starting point for a lot of organizations. And that's absolutely fine. And um, we all have to start somewhere. But I think don't forget all of the other elements that go along with diversity as well. It's not just it's not just gender. You know, there is ethnicity, heritage ability there's so many other things that different people within your organization are going to be passionate about um, and feel something for and want to make sure that the organization is aware of that as well I think is the first thing Um, and then focus on where they want to go and what are the different focus areas that they have within their strategy so yeah that's it for me learn 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 keep on educating yourself as I said I I learn something every day on a different topic or from somebody I speak to that I never thought existed before. I know that we're sick of going to Zoom and we're all Zoomed out probably at this stage. But the more things that you can do outside of your own organization as well, the more seminars that you can attend, the more podcasts that you listen to. I think you're going to get those little nuggets that you can take away, Brian, and then that you can go, oh, God, I can actually implement that within my own organization or sure I can reach out to them on LinkedIn and ask them how they went about that you know I think that but by doing that you're educating yourself really well said yeah and I'm certainly I'm learning a lot from this uh, conversation uh, for starters and uh, you know it's it's educating myself in the area of DNI is something that I definitely want to do a lot more of but you're right there's you can educate yourself there's, there's a lot of tools out there and then, of course, there's a role for the employer as well to play in, in providing some education and supports there. I, I like what you said about, again, the one-offs. Let's try and get away from that. Again, the very same in the, in the workplace well-being space. I call it the random acts of wellness. You know, they don't nice little one-off shot in the arm kind of benefit, but it doesn't really lead to any long-term sustainable benefits. So it looks, sounds like it's the very same in the, in the area, the random acts of, of DEI. Yeah. And again, like people, as I said, people see through that. I have a bowl of fruit or yogurt and one yoga class. And then (laughs) what's next? Like, or or my manager is not on the same page in terms of what you're trying to do. So I think it's making sure that you have that if the organization is going to going to do something and it's that awareness or that one-time event well then what follows next where's your what's your actions? What are you actually going to do? Why have you spent X amount on this? And this yoga class and the fruit and stuff, if you're not going to have any follow through. Exactly. Exactly. And speaking of yoga and fruit and well-being, we've concentrated on kind of the organization and work an awful lot there. How or are you managing to dedicate time to your own well-being at present? Oh, that's a really good question with, with all that I've going on here at the moment. For me, it's walking and making sure that I get my walk in. So every evening, 
as soon as my as soon as my husband gets in I get my get my outfit on and I'm gone out the door and whether it's rain hail snow I'm, I'm gone and that's I think for me that is my sanity where I don't have anybody talking to me I can just let the stress out of the day or reflect on certain things that have happened and think about that and you know, sometimes I think when you're you're in your own little bubble here or I'm sitting here between on, on the screen doing multiple things, you know, they can sometimes the smallest thing can build into something massive and it actually isn't. I think when you walk away and you create that headspace for yourself, you give yourself time to think, you give yourself time to cool down. And so that's just one of the things that I do. Uh, another thing, and I know this is going to sound really daft, but another thing that I do is I take my lunch now every day. I would have been so bad at not doing that. I would have been so bad at sitting here and nibbling um, and not having a proper diet or just carrying on with my work and having my dinner or my lunch here at the desk um, and not escaping any screens. And then like I'd have a massive headache. I'd have a migraine after it. And it's my own fault. It's my own fault from not walking away, not taking a half an hour or an hour out to do that and you know it, it actually it was through lockdown that my sister is she's working from home as well and she said to me you never leave your desk you actually never leave it to even have lunch on you need to you know you need to come away let's have lunch together so that's something that we do now through lockdown it's my my little thing that I do with my sister every day but I know that if I don't go she'll be down looking for me she'll be knocking on that door when I come back, I feel so much fresher and I'm so much more productive that I can get through so much more stuff than I probably would have, than I would have if I just sat here throughout that whole time. So they're just, they're two small things that I, that I do for myself. At the weekend, I would have been a devil for always being on at the weekend and catching up and doing stuff. Now, like I have definitely with the kids being off this, me being here Monday to Friday and not leaving the office I make sure that I have that downtime that I that I carve out certain time for college and then the rest of the time that I can have it with the kids going out for walks doing different things so yeah excellent yeah no love love, love all that uh, stuff it's so important to to look after number one and I like I like the accountability partner the lunchtime accountability partner that's really good but you're so right like just taking time off actually it improves our work when we when we do actually come back to it we can be that little bit more productive that little bit more creative or innovative be it rest be it exercise you know be it uh, just a few mindful moments we're that little bit clearer a little bit fresher when we do come back to to tackle that whatever, whatever challenge is is uh, is facing us yeah and you know what for me it's guilt guilt is the one thing that i always have when i leave my desk i'm like oh god there's such and such there now that's come in I need to do that straight away but it's just compartmentalizing that and going you know what you need to take a break as well and come back and you'll be much more productive um, and not letting that guilt get in on top of you because at the end of the day you have to prioritize or you could end up as a as a busy fool not get, not doing anything properly yeah really true a busy fool yeah that, that's such a, such a good point Final, final question, and let's keep it to the individual then. So for, for the individuals listening in who feel like they might be a candidate for the Open Doors initiative, maybe they're not sure, they still have questions, maybe they're, again, maybe they're lacking in confidence. How would they kind of find out more? How could they get in touch with yourself maybe or, or the Open Doors initiative? What, what's the best way for them to go about, go about that? 
Yeah, so if they wanted to to get in touch, I guess the first thing would be, I would say, is go on and have a look at the website, www.opendoorsinitiative.ie. You can see a range of the things that we do. So we have jobs up there at the moment under available positions. We have a variety of courses as well, even if you wanted to upskill yourself. There's some amazing accredited courses there. So go on and check them out. You'll also see on the website, you can send us in a note that will come through to us in an email format and we can come back to you directly. You can mail us as well. You can email us through info at opendoors.ie um, and I can pick up on that straight away. And if you want to arrange a call or have a further discussion or explore something, we can do that. And then my own email is Siobhan at info at opendoorsinitiative.ie if you wanted to reach out to me directly or I'm on LinkedIn as well. So there's a variety of different ways people can, can get in touch. Fantastic. And we'll include all those links, as many links as possible in, in the yeah. article that goes along with, with this episode. Siobhan, listen, thanks so much for your time. As I said, I enjoyed it, but I also learned an awful lot as well. So I really appreciate that. Thanks so much for sharing so much today. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thanks to Mel Brian. Hello, everyone. Brian here again. A big thank you for listening right to the end of this episode of the Work Well podcast. I want to give a big shout out to our partners, the fruit people who are leading the way in workplace nutrition, both in office and remotely. You can check them out at thefruitpeople.ie. And it's with thanks to the fruit people that we have a delicious fresh fruit and healthy snack pack to give away to one lucky listener for each episode of season three. To find out how to enter, Go to workwellpodcast.com and find the link to the latest podcast episode. Finally, are you interested in diving deeper in the area of workplace well-being? Why wouldn't you? You need to check out the WorkWell Institute. The WorkWell Institute is an online hub for all your workplace well-being, education and training needs, whether you're an individual or an organization. Head on over to workwellinstitute.org where you'll find out the details on all the courses available, including my flagship program, Developing a Workplace Wellness Program That Lasts. Check it out at workwellinstitute.org. Thanks again for listening. The original music for this podcast was composed by my friend, Greg Clifford. Thank you, Greg. Remember to work well, stay safe, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Work Well Podcast.